there's this really beautiful um, inclusion framework that I found, and it it looks at the combination of uniqueness and belonging. Hmm. And it defines inclusion as the space where, to the way I paraphrase it is, I get invited to happy hour, even though I'm different and, and quirky. And they accept <laughs> my quirk and they accept the things that make me different and still invite me to happy hour anyway. Because what are the other choices? The other choice is you invite me to happy hour, but say, leave the quirky stuff at home. Ooh. Don't bring that here. Just bring, bring your professional self, but don't bring your whole self. Yeah. Right? That's assimilation. Hmm. And then the other one is, you know, we really like the things that make you different. You, you know, you're a respected person in our organization for X. You're our go-to gal, hmm. but I never get invited to happy hour. And that's what they call differentiation. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. This is episode 84, and our special guest is Jana Etienne. The title is Know Better, Do Better, Practical Ideas to Enhance Your Diversity and Inclusion Awareness and Implementation. You know it's the hot topic of the day, certainly of 2020, and as we move into 2021, diversity, inclusion, difference, it is right front and center, not only in our nation, but certainly in our businesses. So many businesses have been struggling with this in the past, and certainly many more are today, trying to understand it, figure out how to change it, where do their biases come into play, where are they not, how do they change communication? Jana is an expert on this topic. She is a black woman who has been living this journey for her own career and in her life. And now she comes into companies helping them navigate their own diversity and inclusion journey. She's going to talk about why we have to separate the concepts of diversity and inclusion. What does equity and belonging mean in organizations and teams? She's going to talk about how, quote, we're hiring the best people, close quote, is getting in the way of us creating really diverse and inclusive organizations, teams, and environments. She's also going to talk about all the gifts when we can really have a diverse, inclusive, and belonging culture. Get ready to learn some, to grow some, perhaps to be challenged some as we explore diversity and inclusion. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are back here for another exciting interview. I'm really intrigued by the conversation today. I had the opportunity to meet Jana Etienne probably a month or two ago. We've had a number of conversations. I know I've been challenged in those conversations. I've loved her directness with me. She's helped me mm -hmm. to learn and grow in my awareness, and I know he'll, she'll help us all today. Jana is the founder of ATN Consulting. Uh, she is a consultant speaker on diversity, inclusion, culture, and catch this phrase, belonging. Simple mm. concept, but maybe challenging to achieve. 
She works uh, with companies to help them move forward in their DNI journey. She's a storyteller, and I can attest to this next part. She speaks very candidly about her her experiences, her lessons, aha moments. What does it do to create diversity, inclusion, culture, and belonging? She previously had a consulting firm called ATN Partners. Want to list a couple of these? She was uh, director of diversity and inclusion for Grant Thornton, uh, a national CPA firm, president and CEO of the National Association of Black Accountants. She was a director of taxation at the AICPA, which is the American Institute of Certified for Public Accountants. She also had her own CPA firm. So, yes, she was and is a CPA, but she is all about diversity, inclusion, and awareness, growing our self awareness. So, get ready for the opportunity to grow with Jana. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And that sounded like somebody else besides me. <laughs> it usually does, but welcome. Yeah. So, Jana, give us a little bit of your backstory. You know, in the context of this conversation, I can tell you that what you didn't mention for those who can just hear us is I'm black, or at least I appear to be. Um, I'm actually biracial. My mother's from the Philippines. And I became an accountant, actually became a CPA because I was trying to take a shortcut in college. <clears throat> and I was trying to find the easy class. And <laughs> I learned, well, you laugh, but accountant is a you get it or you don't subject. Yeah. And I got it. And so I took accounting and then I took a tax class just for fun. And it was like, oh, you know, I found <laughs> my place in the world. So I usually hear that, that phrase together. Yeah, it's kind of scary, but true. And that's how I ended up in this profession. Um, okay. I got an internship at Touche Ross and I never left public accounting. Hmm. And, you know, my journey to get me to here really was because I speak up, um, I raise my hand, I get engaged. I'm not afraid to challenge the status quo, with respect, of course, but, um, and that's what I've always done. And I think what the result of that is people have invited me to be involved in conversations or participate in initiatives where people are trying to change. Hmm. Um, I was a big, um, I was a troublemaker on a committee at the AICPA, and that's what actually got me to the AICPA in my role. I was invited to come work there. Um, that's how I ended up at NABA. And I became, a, and I ended up at Grant. I remember specifically trying to develop relationships at Grant so that I could try to get them as a client. And then they got me as an employee. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I mean, that just tells you who I am. I flex, I go, uh, I follow my gut and I try to stick with what is aligned with my values and consistent with what I intend and my long-term vision for myself, which I can't describe except in a picture. So hmm. that's me. Well, you've certainly made, you've made a shift because you were a practicing CPA and, and you had roles that were all related to that. You did move into the diversity and inclusion role at Grant. If I remember right, that was really your first role in that space. But now this is what you're all about. You want to work with companies and leaders and organizations and teams and help them navigate these waters. So let's let's just jump into that. What are you what are you seeing in the business world about openness to this topic? So I think that 
corporate America post George Floyd, there's been a reckoning in this country mm. um, with respect to race. And the initial response was, okay, yes, we see that we have a problem and we need to do something about it. I would, I would say that that has waned a little bit, yeah. but I, I think this is the kind of thing you take two steps forward, one step back. And so maybe we're stepping back a little bit, but I, I think the time will come again when we take two more steps forward and over time we'll get there. Well, and I think it, it doesn't America, cause, it doesn't require something like George Floyd again. I would hope not. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I don't know if you remember, I remember hearing some story about two dogs laying on a porch and somebody walks by and the dogs are like, like they howl from time to time. And the guy walking by says, what's wrong with your dog? And the owner says, well, one of them's laying on a nail. And the guy says, well, okay, well, why doesn't he get up? And the guy says, doesn't hurt bad enough. Yeah. And I think that that's the story with, with DNI. And, and Jeff, you were asking about what's going on there. I think there's companies are at least starting to make statements that diversity and inclusion is important. And so I think that's where we are. I think we're at the very beginning stages of what does that actually mean? And for me, I would really like to see us decouple the words diversity and inclusion because they're related, but I don't know that they should be paired together because diversity is about seeing, valuing, um, and appreciating difference. Mm -hmm. Inclusion is about what companies want to set as a standard and a norm expectations for culture in their companies. Mm. So that's an intention on the part of the company. Good distinction. And, and belonging is my experience inside that organization. Right. Love that word. It's, I think it's the new word in DNI. Um, and then you also hear the word equity. So there's terms like there are organizations that now have inclusion, equity, and diversity, inclusion and diversity, equity, whatever. They combine those terms together. Uh, and I understand why, but I think equity is, an, is, is the evolution of fairness because a lot of the things around dni started with eeoc protections right. of underrepresented groups and that thinking has, is sort of a legacy to what is now dni and the idea between around the eeoc is we we want to create a level playing field we want it to be fair for everybody but Equity is about differentiating what people get so that everybody has the same opportunity. So different people need different things. Let's give people what they need. Broaden that out to let's give the different groups what they need so that everybody has the same starting point. That's equity. And I think that's an operational expectation that's about systems and processes. But diversity, Inclusion and belonging is about our experiences and how we show up as colleagues and have workplace relationships and how we mm. develop as leaders. Yeah, I love that aspect of belonging and, and just thinking about it as, you know, we're, we're creating this culture of family, of being able to love on each other and be in a place where we feel safe. Yeah, the place where we feel safe, that's, that's the key. There's this really beautiful um, inclusion framework that I found, and it it looks at the combination of uniqueness and belonging. Mm. And it defines inclusion as the space where, to the way I paraphrase it is, I get invited to happy hour, even though I'm different. Mm. 
and and quirky and they accept <laughs> my quirk and they accept the things that make me different and still invite me to happy hour anyway because what are the other choices the other choice is you invite me to happy hour but say leave the quirky stuff at home Ooh. don't bring that here just bring bring your professional self but don't bring your whole self yeah right that's assimilation and then the other one is, you know, we really like the things that make you different. You, you know, you're a respected person in our organization for X. You're our go-to gal. But mm. I never get invited to happy hour. And that's wow. what they call differentiation. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that is a really clear way of seeing the different perspectives on that. Yeah, I get invited to happy hour. And I can go safely and quirkily. Yeah, <laughs> quirkily. There we go. And and I'm still a part of the team. That's belonging. Yeah. So, Jana, there's something you said in your as you were responding to that question that stuck out to me. You said that you're seeing a lot of companies making statements about this, hmm. and I guess I read into that. They're talking about it a lot, and as you started to say all these different words that are coming up. This voice inside me said, that sounds like what companies do. They're spending a lot of time trying to figure out all the right words and develop systems. Yeah. But are we seeing action? Yeah. Well, are we the, just seeing a lot of figuring it out? So I think there are companies that are taking action, but I think they're the exceptions and not the rule. And I think there are companies that are ignoring it. And I think there are a lot more of them than we realize. Putting a beautiful statement on your website, well, well, fantastic, isn't helpful. I would rather see an organization that has no public statement about DNI because they're too busy working on it inside. The <laughs> yes. So seriously, that that if I walk in the door and that culture feels right and and I feel safe here, they're knocking it out of the ballpark, and I don't yeah. need a statement to tell me that this place is diverse. I can yeah. see it. I don't need a statement or policy that says this place is inclusive. I can feel it. Yeah. That said, we also know that part of attracting talent is being able to put out messaging that what the cultural expectations are, what the professional expectations are. So yeah, companies are starting to understand that they should have some reference to diversity, if nothing else, on their website. I've had quite a few clients over the summer and the fall. They want to do training. First thing I do is I go to their website to get a sense of who they are, and they say nothing about diversity. And so they might have hired me to do a training, but I asked them, perhaps you might be interested in developing a diversity statement because it's important. But it can't be the only thing you're doing. Uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, the <clears throat> So many things are going through my head right now. I'm trying to figure out where to dive in. So I'll just do what I usually do, dive into the middle. I guess what comes up for me is you mentioned there's a lot of companies, maybe more than we know or want to know, that don't really care. And I agree, I agree with you. I think yeah. that is true. And you could make a little statement. But I think one of the obstacles that I've seen is so many companies, their response to this topic is, we're all about hiring the best people. Mm. These are the only people we interview. What are we supposed to do? What are your thoughts on that perspective? 
So there's some language, so many things. There's some <laughs> language that I'm familiar with where we say we want to hire for, quote, fit. Or we want to hire the, quote, best people. So how do we determine fit and how do we figure out who's best? And what most people do is they go back into their organizations, they look to see who's been successful there. And shockingly, if it's public accounting, and if you look across the partner pool, if I close my eyes and throw a dart, odds are I'm going to hit a white guy. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, Jeff, you did say I was direct. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Bring it, Janae. There it goes. Janae. It just tumbled right out of my mouth. But, um, you know, and, and it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And that's what we need to remember. Because I also believe too much of this D&I conversation is shamey and blaming. And it yeah. shouldn't be. We're all in this together and we didn't get here overnight. We're not going to dig out of it overnight. But when we ask for, when we look for fit and when we look for best candidate, too often we're looking traditionally at the people we've brought in. We're not mm -hmm. looking, I mean, if we want to be innovative companies and innovative consultants and really dynamic CPA firms. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is it oxymoron? Wait, Craig, no, you can be a dynamics. Listen, CPAs have personality. They're just afraid to show it. But <laughs> go to a CPA conference and go to the bar and you will see all the personality you need to see. I can attest to that. Been um, there. Yep. But, but, but back to what I was saying, <laughs> too often um, we're looking at the legacy performance and not looking forward at what we need to bring into this firm. And if a firm wants to be dynamic and innovative and creative, they're not going to get there by doing the same thing they've always done. Because we all know that saying about the, you know, definition of diversity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Sanity. Yeah. And so best is code for more people like me. And the me in that statement is probably white, most likely male, if you're talking about public accounting. Yeah. Right. So those, that's the danger of those <clears throat> words. You can't hire for fit. You have to hire for um, thinking, skills, dare I say difference. Yeah. So when we look at that, then when we, when we look at the diversity and the benefits that that accrue to the company, it, it really comes down to, because we have a diverse perspective on the world, we also have different ways of thinking, new ideas that are coming in. What do you see as far as how that actually impacts companies? So it's interesting. There's this whole theory in, um, in business, modern theory, and, and there's several of them, but one of them that pops to mind is lean startup, right? Yeah, right. And that's where you, you just really drill down to your minimum viable product. You launch that, you learn from that, you iterate. And you right. grow, and you do it again, you do it again. And so in order to, to, to do that, you have to be willing to just sort of start with an idea. Mm -hmm. And then you learn from that idea, and then that idea evolves. Well, diversity in a room allows that to happen in terms of thinking, in terms of creation. So if you have 10 people in a room and they all think exactly the same and Bob throws out an answer, everybody's going to go, yeah, and that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> but if right. you have 10 people in a room and they're all different, different backgrounds, they can have, be in the same race and gender. Let's be clear, diversity isn't just race or right. gender or ability or disability, gender identity, age. Yes, those are important factors, and those cannot be ignored when we're talking about diversity and inclusion. But to your question, Craig, we're talking about 10 people in a room 
who all see that problem differently. Yeah. Bob throws out an answer and then Jane says, eh, I don't know if I agree with you because here's what I see. And then Mike goes, okay, I kind of see that, but not really. But what I see is, and next thing you know, it is the collective churning around that idea that crystallizes that idea. Mm. And then once you have a crystal, a crystal clear idea, the group can iterate from there. So much more fun too. Yeah, it is. It's a more interesting conversation. <laughs> if, yeah. if somebody feels safe and brave enough to throw out their crazy idea mm-hmm. and not be, and they're not afraid they're going to get thrown under the bus or laughed at, or worse, we're never inviting her to a meeting again. Mm. Right? Um, there's no professional risk. You're going to get people's ideas. And one of them, I promise you, is going to be golden. Mm-hmm. But if it's not safe, or if they don't think you care, or if the rule is when Bob says something, we all agree, because that's the politics around here, you're missing out on the benefit of diversity. Yeah. Hmm. So, Shanaal, the idea that question comes to me is this. If the word that's hitting me is immersion, you talk about a belonging, and what I mean by immersion is, and I've run into this in a number of situations, in talking, this, this happens to be, I'm going to say people of color in an organization we're part of, we're not very diverse. We say we want to be, and I, and I believe we really do at some core level. And people, you know, keep inviting and talking to the people involved who are of color. They said, but here's the reality. If they come in, they're going to be sitting around a group of 50 people and they're going to be the one. I don't feel safe when I'm the one. So I guess what I'm getting at, how important is for companies to think of doing things so dramatically different that they can have an immersive effect of bringing in lots of diversity pretty quickly. So it's not very, someone doesn't have to be just the one for a while, very long. There's so many things coming to mind here. And, the, and I think the thing that's popping up, there are two things. One, it's okay if I'm the only in the room, if the room's safe to be in. Mm. So just because I'm the only does not mean it's not a safe place. Is it uncomfortable though? Maybe. Okay. That could also be a personal problem. Yeah. You know, okay. and, and I say that tongue in cheek because that's probably not. I'm the only woman in a room full of men. My first response is probably to notice that mm. in a way that the men don't. And but then what what the filters that get layered onto that are experiences that I've had with men in the past. It's experience that I've had professionally as a woman in the past. Right. I mean. Those all get layered into it. Maybe my beliefs growing up. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think that there's there's that aspect of it, um, and then it. You talk, Jeff. You said immersion. Are you talking about for the majority, or are you talking about for the minority? I guess what I was what I was thinking was immersion for the minority. So that instead of figuring out an approach, I guess I think this in a lot of solutions, by the way, I think that so often our solutions are designed to make little tweaks because we believe that's the only way to change, but that sometimes we need some radical adjustments and shifts so that we can, frankly, it's a lot more risky, but I'm a big fan of that. And I guess I was thinking from the minority side. So if you look at it and say, we we are not a diverse organization at all. Let's focus on diverse in terms of some of the traditional categories of race, of gender, um, 
and um, um, I'm it's say gender identity or LGBTQ. Yeah, let's go with LGBTQ plus. And we say, well, so now let's we're going to adjust our policies. And boy, we're two years into this, and we got one of each because we're so focused on the numbers yeah. and doing this, saying, well, we're making progress. But is that progress? Maybe it is. To your point, if those people all feel safe, I'd say you've made a lot of progress. But it's got to be, to me, it's got to be more than just some hot policies. I guess I have this belief that there has to be some fundamental shif shifts in values to actually say, I really want this versus this is what I have to do to really create some real change that matters. That's, so I you, guess, what's coming up for me. Are you thinking that, that would be like bringing in an entire cohort of different than normal? I say normal, different than what's already here in order to shake things up and get the diverse perspectives? Uh, potentially. I guess what a big part that's hitting me is in the conversations. And I know there was a time in my life I said these things. Now I'm repulsed by it. And I think to your right. point, I know, I'm aware of how many things I notice now. Yeah. Like I do notice that now. If I'm in a room and there's, I was in an event, I'm speaking here. I'm going, there's like six women here and 50 white guys i know immediately everybody's white right so so one of the conversations i've heard i still hear it is well you know you got to have all this stuff well no 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 um, i'm not that because you know i've got i know this person who's gay and um i've got this friend of a friend who's black like to say well now everything's good yeah it actually is fine my life is very diverse and inclusive because i've got one or two here right that's what I'm trying to, I guess I'm really struggling with, I know I don't have the solution. I do know that, <laughs> but looking at different ways to say, how can we accelerate this process in a good way? Wow. So Jeff, I was listening to a previous episode and remind me the gentleman's name who was talking about the escalator thing going backwards, the moving. Uh, that was oh, yeah. Justin Jones Fosu. Yeah. So I was listening to your past episode with Justin Jones Fosu. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who's Uganda. One of the things that he said that I loved is that one of the first things he asks about is, you know, who are you friends with? Right. That, yeah. that um, really stuck with both Jeff and me. Yeah. You know, you can, to be blunt, you know, if I'm white, I can have a black friend and a brown friend and a yellow friend and a gay friend mm -hmm. at work but they don't come to my house for dinner. They're not in my church. I don't see them at the grocery store. I never went to school with them, but I'm woke. Right. And I think that people mean well, but if we go back to the idea that, um, the whole idea of immersion, and I said, you know, one person in the room and it's safe, this isn't about me. Uh, so I'm a black woman and I walk into a room and the room is all white other than me. The, the whole idea about diversity and inclusion isn't about my mindset. It's about everybody else in the room and their mindset. Mm. Because until they see me coming in and wonder about my experience and background and skill and expertise and, and, and the value I offer rather than what's she doing here, then we're making progress. Um, I, I was, so there's a ballroom in Silver Spring and a hotel and it's round. And I remember going there for a networking event with the Chamber of Commerce. This is when I was in practice. And you know how hotels have these pretty little tables with flowers and there's a mirror or something there. 
So they had these mirrors all around. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this because I couldn't have replicated this now if I tried, but I was standing in the room and I kept looking over and I saw this black woman and she was wearing a red suit. And I kept thinking, I have to go talk to this woman because there aren't many people here, so I need to go find this woman. Ready to stand out. <laughs> well, it was me. I was the woman in the red suit. I just happened to catch my reflection in reflection, <laughs> reflection. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I love it. You know, well, you know, I tend to do, I was going to say stupid things, but I've, I've done things that I've been oblivious about. And later I look back on it and I'm actually secretly pleased that I had, <laughs> right. that I have a certain type of blindness. Um, yeah. My husband describes it as, you know, the, you know, those plexiglass walls that everybody has up right now because yeah. of COVID. Space. The way he described it is all of us have that plexiglass between us when we're meeting people and professionally. And I've never had plexiglass in my life. Wow. That is and, so good. It was one of those things that I didn't know that I didn't have until he told me. It was a good blind spot to have, in mm. other words. But that was the kind of blind spot that led me think that there was a woman in a red suit that looked shockingly like mine. <laughs> um, wow. Well, to that point, uh, just not about the woman in the red suit. One of our recent guests, we were talking about this topic, and the question I gave her, I will give you, was, and I guess I'll give you my opinion on it. It seems to me, starting with me, that in order for me to create change, that something that's outside of me, at some level, I need to recognize some degree that my beliefs have influenced us. So yeah. in other words, if I'm, a, if I'm the president of an organization, a business owner, and I believe that there is not one iota of anything in my belief system that have helped support this, but I'm now going to be part of the change. Mm -hmm. I go, really? I don't know. Because at least if, if maybe there's an organizational thing too. If you got a whole organization that says, we did none of this. And, and you know, that whole defensive, we did none of this. And I have no beliefs in my brain. I have no unconscious biases, which is crazy talk. I have no affinity biases. I have none of these, but let's fix this anyway. I wonder if that's really going to happen with that mindset. I don't think so, because I think motivations and intentions, well, forget motivations, intentions drive everything we do. Mm. And intentions we can be aware of or we can be unaware. Yeah. Um, and, and despite our <clears throat> intentions, our autopilot will override that every time. And autopilot is the programming that we have that's been etched into our brains since birth. You know, it's autopilot that allows us to walk because I don't have to every day wake up and figure out, okay, how do you balance again? Like, how does this work? <laughs> right. Um, and, and so we all understand that when it comes to physical skill, but the same thing applies to brain thinking. Yeah. And so when we talk about bias in the brain, bias broadly is that autopilot. And it is the sum of our experiences and our beliefs. And I tell you, if I grew up in uh, Southeast Asia, or if I grew up in Latin America, if I grew up in Canada, I'd have different ways of seeing, viewing, yep. and interacting with the world. If I grew up in a hot climate and I moved to some place where there's snow, it's going to feel colder to me than if I <laughs> lived there. Yes. And the thing is, we know this is true. <clears throat> 
So how's this person, Jeff, who says, I'm, I don't have any biases and prejudices and, and anything. So, mm. um, you know, I don't know that we have a problem because if I don't, the organization doesn't, but we're going to do it anyway. That's never going to work because that person, the intention and the motivation behind that, it's insincere. Um, and why would they be doing it? For money? For branding? Because if the motivation is external, right. it, it, it won't pull you along. It's yeah. got to be values driven and you've got to have an intention and you've got to look at how your behaviors align with that intention. Example, leadership will say, we want to make this a place for people to learn and grow. And I really want to give my employees an opportunity to grow. Lots of different types of opportunities. Sounds good. Right? So Bob, sorry, anybody out there listening named Bob, Bob's my fake guy. <laughs> so Bob, who's a leader in the organization, keeps going to Jane and Mike for his you know, pet projects because he's worked with Jane. He knows Jane. Jane understands her. Mike, he understands Mike. And you know they're a well-oiled machine. Sure. The problem with that is nobody else gets invited. Yeah. And, and so is Bob really giving all of his people opportunity? It's the party and without it, belonging. It's up. Will Jane get to come back? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? I, I stepped on you. Oh, that's okay. I said, if Jane messes up, does Jane get called back for the next project? Right. If in fact, Bob's intention is for people to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes, Bob's got to be the one to shepherd them through that process. Yeah. And if Bob wants to be a better leader, he's got to be able to lead people beyond Jane and Mike. Because if he's yeah. only working with those two, what kind of a leader is he? If he's never worked with the other five people in the organization. So his intention is, I'm going to make this a great workplace, and I'm going to make this a place to develop great leaders. But his behavior suggests otherwise. Well, how much, how important do you think it is that we have an outside perspective, an outside viewpoint that gives us candid feedback? I mean, Clearly, you, you are willing to say what you think, and I love that. And I would imagine that when you come into an organization to support them in creating belonging, that you're able to give them perspective on that. But is, is it critical that we have somebody from the outside do that, or can that be done by ourselves? What do we need? It could be done by ourselves, but it's infinitely harder. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a client yesterday and the client's putting together an advisory board. And I said, <clears throat> don't forget to include a naysayer. And so she said, good. what? And I'm yes. like, canary in the coal mine. You got to get somebody who doesn't <laughs> believe in your product, who doesn't understand your systems or who's not quite clear on your vision, because they're going to ask you the questions that oh, you need to so be able good. to answer. Yes. I love that. And that is such a great idea. It's, it's the same thing because the, one of the, Big problems that we see in DNI right now is they go tap somebody inside the organization, most likely female, more likely black, and say, "Here, you go do the DNI." Oh, that sucks. And and so they ask the person who is the quote unquote minority in the organization to now be responsible for DNI. And I'm sorry, no, it's not my problem. It's the the white leadership's problem, or it's the all male leadership's problem. Right. And and so the benefit of being the outsider is I can say things that you can't as the inside. <laughs> right, without the repercussions. It's kind of like I can say things to my husband, but until somebody else says it, he doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he does listen, but you get my point. It was just right. an example. Yeah. 
So I do think that, I think it's a mix of things. I think we, we need people from the inside because they know how it really is. They know the politics, they know the group think, they know the unwritten rules. But you need somebody from the outside to say, you know there's politics and there's group think and there's unwritten rules. <laughs> right, that all it's things, the mirror. Yeah, exactly. But, but then you have to sync them up. I mean, it's like Legos. You know how Legos work. Yeah. Until you get the little, the holes and the plugs lined up, you can't snap them together. Right. So you have two pieces, but you've got to work together to snap them in place. Hmm. So it's not just the external person. It's not just the internal person. You need both. And I'm That's not just saying point. that because I'm an outside consultant. I'm sure. saying that because change happens even though I really want to change as a person or as a boss or as a spouse or parent, I, I can't do that just because I want to. I'm going to right. have to do something, ask for help, read a book, take a class. Any kind of change. Any kind of change. Because yep. if I want to learn to cook, yeah, you probably don't want me just throwing some stuff together to see what happens. <laughs> you probably would like me to go look and at least understand how spices work. Right. Or what veg how vegetables cook yeah there's no change we can do and dni is no different hmm. let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors the impact leadership podcast is brought to you by cartavera cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training coaching resources events and a community to help you grow at Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Well, I, I, I share your belief that it does take an internal commitment and some internal awareness, or at least a starting point of saying, there's a lot of things I don't know. Um, and I don't know. I, th I think that is vital for the reasons you said. You know, so for me, so much, and you've talked about this a little bit, the importance of becoming more self-aware. But in this context, what does self-awareness really mean to you? I mean, that's one of those buzzwords now. I want to become more self-aware. But what does that look like in your experience in this DNI space? There's a lot of context and a lot of variations of looking at that specific to fostering an inclusive environment. Because that's not a diversity question, that's an inclusion question. And it's about noticing how I'm behaving here. It's yeah. about knowing, understanding how people perceive me here. Mm. It's about knowing the effect that I have on other people here. The actual effect, not what I want to happen, but the way it does, you know, one of the sayings that I have, we've developed in our household is it doesn't matter what I say, it only matters what you hear. And too often people, um, you know, so awareness for me would be knowing that I speak in ways that, for example, might feel natural, but to somebody else, it feels like I'm being a bully. And if I said, well, I'm not trying to be a bully and that's your problem, then I'm not very self-aware. It doesn't, it's not a question of right or wrong. It's a question of understanding and context. And so self-awareness like that is necessary if we're going to drive an inclusive culture, because it's important for me to understand how I navigate this ecosystem, how I show up at this ecosystem and influence it. Mm. Otherwise, I can't, I can't either 
show up and to be consistent with the culture or show up in a way that will help drive difference in the culture. It sounds like language in this case is incredibly important because as, as we talk with somebody, we can inflame them, we can make them defensive, or we can help them to open up. What are your strategies for the language that you use to talk about these things? Well, it starts with understanding the vocabulary of DNI. That's important because in this work, <laughs> I do believe words matter. Mm -hmm. We also can't get hung up on the words. Mm -hmm. So an example, uh, some people like to be called African-American. Mm -hmm. Some people like to be called black. And if you're, if you're not, if you're white, let me just put it that way. If you're white, maybe you don't presume which term, which phrase I like, which term I like. Yeah. Or if you assume and you feel comfortable saying African-American and you don't feel comfortable saying black, don't get defensive if I say, I'm not African-American, I'm black. Hmm. I, I identify as black. Um, okay. There's also my side of that is, yeah, don't bite your head off because you refer to me as African-American. Perhaps this is an opportunity for you to learn more and for me to understand more why you chose to use that term. Hmm. So it's, language is important, but if we get hung up on it, we're never going to have those difficult conversations and being yeah, able to yeah. have those uncomfortable, talk about the things that, you know, historically in business, we don't talk about this stuff. So, I mean, the words matter to a point. It's, if we have a common definition of disability and we all understand that word, it doesn't mean we can comfortably talk about it yet. Right. Hmm. We're still going to stumble through the conversation, you and I, even if we understand objectively the word. Yeah. Well, that, that's an interesting thing about the words. You know, I've made a conscious choice that in almost all conversations, especially more of a global conversation like this, or if I'm talking in a context, well, you'll understand, I'm typically going to use the phrase person of color. And the reason I do that is because I'm tr I want to be inclusive of not just blacks and African-Americans. Right. So there's an so person of color. However, when I'm in a one-on-one -on -one pretty early yeah. on, I will ask that person mm -hmm. to say, what, you know, do you have a preference? Because to me, it's about what you think, not what I right. think, because I'm not uncomfortable with any of them. Right. I just want to know what's comfortable for you. But in general conversation, I'm going to use that. And what I find interesting, but not surprising, unfortunately, is so often I'll hear something about all these topics, all these different groups. Someone says, I'm so tired of trying. Why do I have to figure out the right word? And I go, wow, did you just hear yourself? <laughs> with why do I have to figure out? And I'm going, of course, why do I? Why shouldn't I? Because I'm a white dude. That's why I shouldn't have to. And I'm just like that awareness. Do you realize that's why you said that? And I'm, I'm careful about how I say that. And typically what I've done for myself is I choose to talk about myself. So if someone says that now, I don't talk to them or about them. I will say, let's say Craig said it. I would say, well, you know, Craig, what I realized for myself is I found myself saying that and I realized I was safe and comfortable saying that because I was the white guy. Yeah. That's what I've realized for myself. Well, that's true for you. I don't even add anymore. That's just. No, yeah, I've and that not, definitely I've, opens it up. I've for... had fights over that. I've guys go, what are you calling me? I said. Nothing. I'm what saying that's what I've learned for myself. Right. And, and that's so important to be able to share from your own experience. And I, 
I think it really does make us a, a lot of sense, Jeff. I, I think over this last year, there have been, I know that I've had some major shifts in my thinking and the ways that I use language and the, and how I think about interacting with people. Um, wow. It's, it's been a very interesting year, but it's, it's partly because we have such wonderful guests like you, Janat, that help to expose different aspects of who we've been and how we can change. You know, it's funny because, you know, Jeff, I'm listening to the, the, the dialogue you guys, you know, between you just now, and I'm thinking, I also know people who would be offended by person of color. Like there's no, yeah. there, that's the thing, there's no right term. And it comes down to me extending you some grace, maybe approaching you with curiosity. And, and when you say person of color, appreciate your intention. Right. Rather than getting defensive. Um, and, and, and learning how to communicate your intention. I mean, that's one of the things that I do in my training. It's that we have um, non-conscious impact. And it's learning how to communicate intention. Rather than communicating, and then if you don't understand my intention, seeing it as a shortcoming on your end. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, you know, I learned that watching my kids fight. My boys are 18 months apart and they used to fight a lot. And what was funny is I would hear Sebastian saying something to Dominic and Dominic would fight back and Sebastian might say, well, that's not what I said. And I'm over here thinking, no, oh, it's kind of what you said. Or Dominic might say something, Sebastian reacts and Dominic says, well, I, did, I didn't mean that. That's not what I meant. And I'm thinking, it doesn't matter what you meant. That's what you heard. <laughs> that's right and and so this is where all of my great you know insights come from it's parenting and, and learning that children yeah. show us everything whether we like it or not big time um and if we can understand that those gaps in communication are the ones that we can work on jeff we come back to the word awareness mm -hmm. if i can just try to notice those moments and learn from those moments our conversations we can be talking about the same thing I'm not going to get offended when you say person of color now, because I'm going to under appreciate what I think is your intent. And I might even go so far as to validate that. Hmm. And even if I don't validate it, I'm going to extend you some grace. And, and I'm going to assume you meant that in the right way and in a good way, the way I define right, because somebody else is going to find it right differently. But I'm not worried about them. This is you and I in a conversation right now. And this is how I'm going to approach that conversation. Jana, what I, what I see or what I have seen, whether it's through media or other sources, not, not necessarily with my friends, but I, I've seen that people, whether it's white, black, Asian, whatever, can get defensive in whatever we say. And not everybody is going to have the perspective that you have. Some people are looking for a fight. But I wonder, you know, is that my white perspective looking at that and saying, I'm expecting that there's going to be something like that? Or is there really, you know, a, a lot out there? Humans are tribal. <laughs> it's the way our brains are wired, actually. We, we are pack animals and we don't survive well in isolation. Mm -hmm. um, we know that just science is there. And so if you're a pack animal and you're tribal, um, well, packs eventually become somewhat tribal. And so somebody from another tribe comes in and it's easy for me to hunker down and try to defend my tribe. 
yeah. rather than learn more about yours. Right. Okay. That's just it's that, so sense. that's us. That's us being human, and and that has nothing to do with you being white. I mean, it might in the context of the U.S. culture, but if you and I transport ourselves to another country and that's where we grew up, and let's say you're Pakistani and I'm Chinese, we're yeah. going to have those same problems. Sure. Potentially. It's not like we have a lock on this. You know, we act like <laughs> we're the only ones that get to be racist or misogynistic. No. Right. Shockingly, it's worldwide. And and yeah. but then the manifestations of racial difference and dis, and, and, and discomfort um, and prejudice and, and oppression, they all manifest themselves differently. Yeah. And for the record, I still tell people when they use the term African American, I think about the white people in Africa and I wonder what they want to be called. <laughs> right. And I think about the, so many people in this country. My husband's black, but his family is from Haiti. They're not African American. Right. What do you call him? Um, it's assumptions. It, yeah. It's a, well, but it's not just assumptions. These are the language we've come up with in the vocabulary. If you, if you go out and ask people, they will say black or African American. And nobody's, and now we're starting to look at the word African American and dig in and understand maybe that's not the right word and it's okay for some but it isn't yeah. a universal term sure that's the progress that we're making we couldn't have had that conversation 15 years ago without somebody rolling their eyes and saying this is stupid well i think you gave me a great word to lay put a label and also in a behavior for myself i find i don't do this a lot but i do sometimes and that is for me to give the same level of grace to say if someone if i if someone if I perceive that they're being defensive, mm -hmm. that I'm going to let go of the defensive judgment and just say they're just being themselves based on their experience. Sure. And, and I, I, don't, I don't want to get in a place, which I think I have in the past, of I deserve whatever they're going to unleash on me because mm -hmm. that's my punishment for my past behavior. But to just say I'm going to give some grace and just some acknowledgement of this is their experience and if they feel defensive, there's a reason for it. And it, there's certainly a basis for it. I think this the self-awareness is such a huge piece. And I'm glad we're getting into specific examples. And for me, the phrase that keeps coming up is my ability or maybe just openness to notice and catch myself. Yes. And like so what's the phrase you said a couple times? Um, Real-time awareness. Know better, do better. Oh, yeah. Is so that your phrase? Is that what it was? Know better, do better? When you know better, you do better. When you know better, you do better. And one thing I realized about myself a number of years ago is I often invoked in conversation people's minority or different status when it had yeah. nothing to do with the story. Right. And I started noticing that, and I thought, why did you just tell Craig a story, but you know, I say, well, instead of, so instead of saying, I met this amazing person on a call and Jana is amazing. I'd say, I met this amazing person. She's black and she, or, or there, he or she is gay or lesbian has nothing to do with the story. Right. And I started noticing that. Yeah. And so now I rarely do. And I, I think I know why, actually, I didn't even know why. And I think I know why. I think that was my way of subtly trying to sh tell someone else, see, I've, I'm diverse. <laughs> I'm, woke. My, I'm woke because I talk to these people. And, yeah. and so you might I even mean well story. doing it. 
and, I, and I took it out of the story because unless it matters to the story, I take it out and I'm pretty good at taking it out now because I started noticing and, and what you just said, no better, do a little better. Yeah. My parents and my wife's parents, you know, they would, they would make those statements. Oh yeah. Well, you know, talk to this black woman or whatever it was. And, you know, I, I gave up the fight of saying, well, why do you have to mention race or, you know, whatever that is. And so my wife and I had a conversation early on, you know, when we were raising our children, we said, you know what? we're not going to refer to people by race or anything like that. We're just going to refer to them by the person and see how things change with our children. We want to not bias them towards or away from anybody in particular. My, it, it seems to work. <laughs> I'll say my, my oldest son has a black girlfriend. My other son, you know, both of them are very, so much more, multicultural in their friend groups than than even i am and i i love it a couple things it's funny because i feel like we could talk all day because as soon as somebody says something 47 other things pop up right i thought of three things there and one was an experience i had in the mall with my son so remind me about blue um okay you were saying you wanted to do uh, not have your kids show up as biased by you not using those words but here's the thing they're going to be influenced by television, by school, by the oh, sure. what they hear at the bus stop, Absolutely. Um, music. And, and so th- there's nothing we can do to stop that. Yes, we can reduce it in our home. We can speak to it in our home while we don't use that language. That's, so, that would be even better. Absolutely. Great that point. That will create an awareness when they're seeing it out there so that they can call it something different yeah. or notice they can notice it. The other part of it is the millennials today, Gen Alpha, Gen Z, they're growing up in a world where for them, diversity is defined completely differently. Hmm. We know Gen Xers and we know boomers and even, you know, the silent generation, they all look at diversity differently. And millennials and, and younger have a very different view of diversity. And, and so the conversation there is already different. Yeah. And, and, our kids are going to be more um, have live in a more multicultural um, space than we grew up in. Also, because the math is there, the population is changing. Right, and I mean, we moved intentionally to a to a place where we we had more diversity in the school system. Um, so there there's been some intentionality, but that still doesn't. I mean, there's still so many unconscious biases that I have. And certainly a lot have been exposed as Jeff and I have had. What's that? You're a human. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's interesting to just expose. That's human. Yeah. Well, at least that's what you look like to me. Right now I'm looking at you and you look like a human. Um, (laughs) So, um, but I asked you to remind me blue. Oh yeah. Blue. My, I was at the mall with my sons and they were really young. And I would take them to the mall because, you know, as a parent, you need to get out of the house. And I remember several times we were at the eatery and we were eating and Dominic in particular, um, he would make references to people. And the first couple of times he did it, he was referencing them by saying black person and white person. And I remember the first time he did it, I, I had no idea what I was supposed to say because he's paying attention to something that we, we've never paid attention to. My mm-hmm. family's diverse. Both of my sisters-in-law are white. I have another sister-in-law is Greek, a sister-in-law is French. <laughs> awesome. my mother's from the philippines like we're we are confused so wow why? 
And I go home and I ask my husband, I'm like, what do you think we should do about this? And so we're thinking about it. Next time at the mall, though, Dominic says, the blue guy. And I'm like, wait, what? And I looked over and he was wearing a blue shirt. (laughs) And it dawned on me that Dominic wasn't referring to the color of their skin. Oh, wow. But that's how I had received it. Wow. So whose bias is showing now? (laughs) It was mine. Um, I've never forgotten that moment because it it just tells me how they just see things so differently. It's beautiful. I have something I can learn. Hmm. A question I would love to get your feedback on. You know, you mentioned Justin's comment about asking people and leaders how diverse is their personal life? Yeah. Which I love that question. And I'm submit, and I realized a couple of years ago that my life wasn't diverse. There was, you know, edges, but it really wasn't at the core. And I thought that's not, I don't believe that's what I really want. So I said, so how do I change that? And what I realized was in order to change that, I had to be really intentionally diverse. And I felt uncomfortable with that. I felt like I was somehow doing it wrong, like interacting with people because they were different. And I did the best I could. I checked, talked to some friends, but I really checked in with myself and went to my intention and said, I know why I'm doing this. I'm not checking a box. And I don't believe my life will change and the richness of my life will not change unless I do this because the system's set up that way. Mm. And that's what hit me. The system that I live in, it's not even if you take out all my biases, all my, if you take them all away, the system is set up that way. Like you said, we're tribal, you know? And I said, I have to be intentionally diverse in my choices of who I even reach out to. Mm. And I'm going to be okay with that. And yeah, so how do you, does that, is that what most people are going to have to deal with? Absolutely. And this is true regardless of race. If you grew up in yeah. a predominantly black neighborhood and you don't have a lot of white friends, you're going to have to work on that. Yeah. If you grew in an all Jewish neighborhood, grew up in an all Jewish neighborhood and you've never had any friends that weren't Jewish, you're going to have to work on that. Yeah. If you, if you had children that had disability, I had a disability, um, all of a sudden you're appreciating the challenges of people who have disabilities that you've just never bothered to even pay attention. Right. To. Um, it's I mean, intentional. There are, yeah. There are parents who give birth to a, ch- uh, have a child and the child has a disability and they live their life in a victim mindset. Like how come this happened to me? Mm. Right. And, and so the, there's opportunity to learn there if they're open to it. And I think that it's, that's just, we all have that problem. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to work out and exercise, the first time you lift weights, the next day you're going to understand um, how much more work you need to do because your muscles yeah. aren't used to it. And Jeff, what you were talking about doing is an intellectual version of that. Mm. It's weightlifting. Intellectual version in the of brain. The weightlifting. Sorry, intellectual. Oh, weightlifting. It's like weightlifting in the brain. You've got to go. You've got to start by picking up weights, yeah. and then you've got to progressively learn to pick up more and more and more. It's right? intentionality. And, for sure. stronger. And that means <clears throat> if I'm black and I've lived in an all black neighborhood, I'm going to have to get comfortable with being in a white space. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you, so you listened to the episode with Justin Jones Fosu. Did you also hear the part about what he talks about that he does every six months? 
where he chooses a different group that he doesn't know that much about. And he chooses to step into their world of that. Yeah. And he made me feel very little when he said, that. <laughs> like, well, perhaps yeah, you both. if I was as open as I think I am, I would do that. <laughs> okay. Challenge accepted. But <laughs> I, I just thought that was beautiful. I also think he's yeah. an exceptional person. Yeah. And, and, is so much farther along on that journey um, than I am. And, it, and it's, not, well, maybe it's not a question of distance. It's a question of, you know, location. Um, because I grew up in a very, uh, I grew up in a special place. Columbia, Maryland was formed in 1967 intentionally to be a multicultural, multiracial, racial, multiracial city. Oh, cool. And, um, I would encourage people to look it up. There's no other city like it. It was it was a crazy idea at the time, and now it's sort of modern thinking around design. Mm. But I grew up on a street uh, that had uh, lots of different races. I'm convinced the couple across the street, in hindsight, was lesbian. Um, we didn't talk about it at the time. I had two other families on the street that were black. Um, a friend who was Jewish. There was some adopted kids that lived across the street. I didn't understand how diverse my world was <laughs> until I was probably in my 20s. And that was when I realized, you mean it's not like this everywhere else? Yeah. When you stepped so into a CPA to, firm? Yeah, maybe <laughs> something like that. But what I had to learn was that not everybody sees it this way. And I have to learn the way other people see it. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned a moment ago, 47 ideas came in your head and we could talk about it for hours. And I believe that's true. You know, I look yeah. at my life as something, this is a conversation I will have wherever it's possible. And I seek to inject it into conversations. I'm very intentional, not just on this podcast, because I, I just believe it's important. And I believe every conversation maybe makes a difference. I don't yeah. know if it does. It makes a difference for me. I learn things. You know, I've been grateful for conversations you and I have had. You've, you've highlighted some things for me that I didn't see. And I remember you doing on our first phone call. And That's I remember awesome. saying kind of that, oof, okay, thank you. And that was really genuine because that's what I want in my life. And I know that's what Craig and I are committed to. And I guess to wrap this up, I want to ask you a potentially challenging question, but I love challenging questions. <laughs> You've shared a lot today. What's the one thing that we haven't talked about that really needs to be shared and this whole topic. What's the one thing that you go, you know, we didn't talk about this. Sometimes I say it as what's the question we didn't ask for someone who just wants to grow in this. So what do you do when you've been triggered? Because hmm. self-awareness is great, but once you become aware, now it's kind of stuck. Because <laughs> when you know, you know, we said when you know better, you do better. That's yeah. not necessarily true. Once you become aware uh, of how you're impacting other people or how you might sound to other people or how your behaviors aren't inconsistent with your intention, you have two choices. You just bury your head in the sand or you try to do something about it. So how do you do that? I just poke somebody in the eye. How do I fix that? Or I just left a meeting and I realized as I'm walking down the hall, 
oh, I think I might have offended Bob. And, and I don't know about you, but that kind of thing will eat at me all day. And so I've been triggered and I stay triggered. And it takes a while to unravel, un unwind them. So how do you do that? What are the strategies so that you can, you can work on awareness? Because this is important. You're not going to make any changes if you don't know what you're trying to change. But once you decide you want to change, what's the process for doing it? Mm. It's slow. It's gradual. It takes hard work and it's internal work. There's nothing to do with your boss's policies and your yeah. company's strategy or anything. It's, it's about me. Matt, that's probably one of the things we didn't talk about that's really important because one of the things in DNI work, people come in and they make all these wonderful recommendations. But when it comes time to how do you do this, where I experience difficulty from clients is they expect me to tell the company, flip these three switches, buy these two things and install that widget and you're going to be fine. But the reality is I need everybody in this organization to learn how to work through their triggers. That's it. Hmm. So awareness is important, but what do we do with it? Once we become aware, let's call that chapter two. <laughs> and boy, do we well, want to for another, uh, another yeah, conversation. We'll bring you back for chapter two. Thank you so much for this. Oh yes. Um, so good. I, I, everything that I expected and more, hmm. uh, I want to make sure we always give our guests an opportunity to share or promote something that's going on for you, whether it's personally or professional. What is that for you? So I just launched a new blog. It's a personal blog. It's called Fearlessly Me. And the idea behind that blog is uh, to share all of those mistakes and those moments and those lessons that I learned along the way to become more self-aware and become more authentic and be myself. Um, and that's important. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm an open book and I'm willing to share all of my ideas. And so I figured, why not? I wanted to write a book, but it was too much work. And so I decided to launch the blog instead. <laughs> okay. Good choice. Well, you, you do know, by the way, that, you know, just down, not too far down the road, you can turn the blog into a book. So you're actually writing the book just in smaller chunks if you choose to do that. I was saying. hoping that that might be the case. <laughs> I, I started a couple of chapters and realized that my half chapters could all become blog posts. Yeah. Seth Godin, that's what he does. That's how he creates a lot of his books. Although I'm frustrated with him. <laughs> in and what way? He just, put out a, he just put out a blog that said, authenticity is a load of crap. Really? Uh, okay, I'm paraphrasing. I admit And I looked... In, I read well, he said something days. about how, you know, being authentic isn't, isn't really what it's all cracked up to be because you don't want me coming into work with my bad attitude. And I'm like, authenticity oh, yes. isn't about being an ass. He did say Authenticity that. isn't about not filtering your behaviors yeah. or yeah. not showing respect. Authenticity is not covering up who you are. And I just wanted to poke him in the eye, but he's got a bigger <laughs> platform than me. And I, so I couldn't poke. I couldn't even flick him on the big toe. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I do. I do remember that one now. Wow. All right. So um, let me get the rest here. So what is the best way for people to reach out and connect with you? Uh, there's a contact form on my website, atnconsulting.com. And there's the good old fashioned LinkedIn. All right. Uh, send me a message on LinkedIn. And if all that fails, tweet me at Miss Taxcat. 
(laughs) Nice. Well, we will put all of that information in the show notes as always. And we always wrap up with a couple of questions for our guest. And I'm going to pick um, wisdom. Start with you, Thea. What's the one piece of wisdom you want to share with our listeners we haven't talked about for them to take into their leadership, particularly if it's focused on diversity and inclusion? My leadership tip is, in fact, our family motto. Hmm. Stop before you hurt yourself. Okay, what does that mean? It means get out of the way. It means um, don't take yourself too seriously. Be willing to pivot. If you're a leader, trust your people. Because if you don't trust your people, you probably have the wrong people. Yeah. Or the wrong leader. (laughs) Stop stop before you hurt yourself is really about, you know, you getting presumptive and and big-headed. You're not. Just step back. And, and, and pay attention to where you are and respond wow. as opposed to deciding for something and poo-pooing everything else. And it's a family motto. This is what we live by here in the Etienne household. Wow. I love that. I've never heard the term family motto. Well, it was a sarcastic thing that evolved, but then it stuck. <laughs> There's a lot all of great things. That's how all great things happen. They're not usually <laughs> planned. They just show up and you go, oh, that's pretty cool. Hmm, I'm going to have to have a discussion with my wife and my two sons. What is going to be our family motto? That's interesting. It starts with sarcasm. You've got to start with that. Oh, no, we, we, we uh, sling that pretty well here. So, so my second question for you is I'm going to go with one of my favorites because I love movies. Uh, what is the movie? It could be television, a series, a quote, a moment, a character that really speaks to you about leadership. Do you see Toy Story? Yep. Oh, yeah. Do you remember when Buzz Lightyear goes, you are a toy? Right. <laughs> right? If you watch that movie, what happens after that, because, you know, Woody is just, he's had enough. And the best thing about Woody is that Woody, he turns around and he starts to reflect and he realizes there's something, there's some truth here. And I can learn something from Buzz Lightyear. Um, and in doing that, Buzz Lightyear started to learn something from Woody. Mm-hmm. So Woody was a real leader. And, and I don't know why every time I think of, Buzz Light, uh, of Toy Story, that scene comes to mind. And Toy Story is on my top five movies of all time. Wow. I just think of falling in style. <laughs> yes. Wow. That's, the best not, that's the best. I would part. say that was vulnerable leadership. Yeah. The willingness to say, huh. Maybe there's something for me to learn here. Yeah. When leaders think they have all the answers, then, then you know there's something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, though. Well, thank we, you. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, we had uh, a Fortune 500 CEO on here, Walt Rakovich, and he talked about that, that moment when he realized he didn't have the answers and he had to ask and, and let him know, hey, I don't have all the answers. I need your help. And wow, what a what a powerful moment that was for him. And for his people, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. And they recovered. Well, thank you for being with us. I loved having you here. I look forward to having you back. And I look forward to personally to our next conversation, which <laughs> hopefully will be soon. Thank you for having me. Great to meet you tonight.
If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.